Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. And we have a guest with us today, uh, Zvi. Say hello. Hi, I'm Zvi Moshewitz. I'm from the Competitive Conspiracy. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what conspiracy is this? Oh, do you not... Did you not read the original from Yudkowsky about all the various conspiracies? So the competitive conspiracy believes that competition is key to creating, you know, good outputs, making sure that everything is, you know, kept in check, you know, that, that um, you know, errors are fixed and so on. And, you know, we cooperate with the Bayesian conspiracy, you know, but we also compete with them because otherwise, who would we even be? So. Oh. That is, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure I read it because I've been reading since day one, but I probably read it more than a decade ago, so I had forgotten about the competitive cons- conspiracy. Competition keeps us strong. That's yes, right. competition keeps us strong. You know, also believe in Bayes, but, mm. you know, only because I've seen the competition. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure awesome. the competition doesn't somehow uh, outpace us. Well, yeah. now I want us to have a sister slash rival podcast called The Competitive Cons- Conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. So I- I'm a writer on Substack primarily right now. I write primarily about artificial intelligence in its various forms, but also about all things that interest me. Uh, a lot of stuff on rationality, uh, occasional stuff on you know a wide variety of topics from housing to medicine to games to you name it. You were on the original Less Wrong forums way back in the day, I believe. I, I remember some of your posts from ages ago, right? Yeah, I've been reading Less Wrong since the, the very beginning, since it was Overcoming Bias, and they were doing the, the FOOM debates with uh, Yukowski and Hansen. Mm-hmm. And then it took me a while to, like many people, think that I could, in fact, contribute something worth saying on those forums mm-hmm. because they were so intimidating right when they began. But I slowly... Oh, yeah got to the point where I felt comfortable sharing what I had to say, and then that builds upon itself, and you get some practice. And so, yeah, I wrote a lot of old-school stuff back when I had other jobs, and it wasn't my primary concern. But the last few years, I've been moving to doing this primarily. Uh, in the past, I've been a professional game player. I have been a, a trader at Jane Street Capital. Uh, I've started multiple businesses uh, with varying outcomes at the end, uh, including mm-hmm. making one of my own games. So... I'm very proud of all those attempts. You were part of MetaMed when that was around, right? I remember I was the, I was the co-founder and CEO of MetaMed. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And the game you made was uh, Emergence? Yes, it's called Emergence. It was made by Interpop. Uh, and again, that was my design. I designed the economy and I was with Brian David Marshall. We co-designed the game itself. And I basically later took over the development of the game while he ran the company after a while. Uh, and that was a great experience. I loved working with a lot of those people and we had a great time and we built a game that I thought was really fun, but we failed the market test, unfortunately. Aww. I think if we had gotten to market earlier, if we had beaten the, if we, if we had gotten in on the NFT craze when the NFT craze was going completely crazy, hmm. uh, because I accidentally invented a lot of that stuff separately from the main line. But huh. unfortunately, by the time we were ready to deploy, all of that had radically died down, and it was worse than if it hadn't happened in the first place. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. Um, Scott Alexander has said at least once um, that the rationalist community is going to be doing laps about our COVID record for the next decade uh, because of how out early in front of that we got. Um, and you were an integral part of that. You were like the guy who started uh, writing about it extensively and sounding the alarm and just deep dives into it, right? You did so the weekly I, COVID I, update? I think there's two different things to keep in mind, right? There's the out in front at the very beginning, 
like before it hit at all, right? Where rationalists mm-hmm. were very much like January, February, like this is coming. Not this might be coming, not we're worried. There's like a little something to be a little bit worried about, but seriously, stuck up on your goods, get ready for a lockdown. This is coming because if you actually understood the physical situation, there were no outs whatsoever, right? There was no world as of January 1, if you understood the situation, where March wasn't going to happen. It might have happened in April, but it was going to happen. Yeah. And so rationalists were able to think ahead and get theories as to ways this might play out. And we weren't, you know, no one was exactly right, but everybody understood this was coming. We warned people about that. And I would say that, you know, I was amongst rationalists relatively late to the party in terms of realizing what was going to happen. I didn't realize what was going to happen until I think it was early February, right? So I was still far ahead of the public, but, yeah. you know, I don't give myself very high grades for early February, right? Like that's pretty late. And then I also, like we talked about how in the early West wrong forms already, like I hesitated to share my opinions because I felt like, you know, who are these people that I'm daring to share my thoughts against? And the standards are so high and all that. And I got over that. But with COVID, it definitely had the, the thing of like, you know, who the hell am I? I don't know anything about this. I'm just, you know, I'm observing the obvious. And, you know, I warned Brian, that, like, you know, we're not going to go to the office for much longer, right? We're going to not, we're going to have to do this virtually for a while. But like, I hadn't shared anything online. And then right, you know, slightly, you know, still before it hit the masses, I did write a warning. But I feel like other people were out there in the community saying this explicitly, significantly, like somewhat before I did. Right. Okay. I think I, I helped, but like I don't think I get full credit for that. What I was out in front of was the continuous analysis where I write to think, right? Like the, the way that I figure out what I think about something and how, how something works is I write about it. Uh, so I started writing about things because I was going to be obsessing over this every minute of every day anyway, in some sense. And by writing about it, I can understand it better. And maybe some other people can benefit from my thoughts and they can be in a better spot as well. And then they can provide me information and we can help each other. And then that just snowballed uh, over time. So by a few months in, I realized that there were hundreds of people who were counting on my analysis in order to understand, like, how to make decisions on, like, what am I going to do this week? Right? Yeah. How do Your I weekly posts were like the go-to. Man, right. Inesh, are you are you reading my notes? Because you those are both <laughs> those, those, those are both of the things I was going to say. I mean, oh, nice. Your, your forecasting uh, timeline aside, I mean, you were the source of truth for everyone I knew in the rationalist community, like the most reliable and up-to-date information and just the most thoughtful commentary. Uh, it was, uh, it was like, it was your paid full-time job. It was awesome. I think and it wasn't paid, but it was <laughs> a huge portion of my time because what happened was we had the game, right? I was working on the game and that was my, my job at the time, but I wasn't drawing a salary. I was a co-founder of the company and the CEO was trying to raise money, but like nobody had the time to think about, oh, this game company wants to raise some money because everybody was like, oh my God, COVID. Oh no, what am I going to do? Scramble, scramble, right? <laughs> like everyone, just, the world was just a giant mess. So, you know, she wasn't making much progress and therefore it was, without, without money, we couldn't hire engineers. We couldn't progress the game much. And I was just distracted anyway. So effectively it became my full-time job for a while. And then, you know, it became a co-job when the game accelerated back in and we got some money and we started to be able to get started again. And I did both. At this point, about two years ago, I said, you know, online, I would love it if I could support myself this way. But that requires someone to step up and help me. And then I was very fortunate that some people did step up and help me. 
That is amazing. I only found out about that uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was at the the solstice and I met you in the subway. And I cannot say how awesome it made me feel about our community that there were people that were that said this is valuable and I have some resources so I will continue to fund this. I just I, I don't see that happening in a lot of other places in the world. And the fact that our people did that, especially the ones with the means to it, like just makes me admire them and wish we had some way of, you know, recognizing them and thanking them. But also thank you for doing all the work. I mean, I thank you so much. That's so gracious. And I very much appreciate that not many people get to do this, right? Like I, I worked hard. I like to think I earned this, but you know, at the same time, like it's a very generous grant that I'm getting and it's not normal. I had no reason to expect it. And I am so thankful, yeah, that people that people stepped up and that the world contains people who understand this. I wish that was more of a model, right? Because like mm-hmm. we have a lot of writers who have a large audience and who have a lot of good things to say, and they feel the need to put half or more of their writing behind paywalls, right? Yeah. Because that's the only way you can convince people to pay, yeah. right, on on mass for what you're doing. So, you know, Scott Alexander thankfully only has to get 5% of his stuff because he's popular enough that that still allows him to support himself. But, you know, when I look at, you know, Matt Iglesias has a lot of his stuff behind a paywall, for example, right? And I wish that wasn't true, but, you know, that, therefore a lot of that just sort of disappears into the ether. And that's true for so many other people who I think would be read much more widely, right? And it would, their mm-hmm. ideas would diffuse into the commons in, in largely in a good way, but we can't do that because they wouldn't be able to make a living. And I don't begrudge yeah. them. It's just a tragedy. No, I, I agree. It's it's If it's going to go beyond the time scope of like interest slash hobby, uh, if it's going to take more than that time commitment, like you, you need some way to help make this fund your life. And uh, with so much of the internet being free, I think most people are just allergic to being asked to pay for anything. And uh, yeah. it's, I don't know. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll see how that pans out over the coming years on the internet. It's not, yeah, I think here it's not so much that people are unwilling to ever pay. I think there is actually a re- reasonable willingness to pay once you've proven yourself. I think the real problem is there is very little willingness to pay if you don't have to pay, right? Like there is very little willingness to ever like take your money and put it in the collection box on a small scale. So you have a power law where the people who are giving you a lot of money are responsible for essentially all of the money that you get for voluntary basis. And if you want to make your money $10 per month at a time or, you know, $100, $100 contributions, you can only do it by gating content. And it, it sucks because when you gate, it's it's such a much smaller audience. I like I have such a hard time gating anything because I just want everyone to see my stuff. But it also means I write far less than I would otherwise because you don't make any money from it. So I had experience with some of the earliest gating uh, by things like this because of Magic, the Gathering. So I used to be a professional Magic the Gathering player. And by player, we kind of mean writer because that's where the money actually came from. The the competitions, oh. even when you do well, just don't pay very well. So like, I competed for 10 years and I earned $150,000 playing in tournaments before expenses. Like That's okay. never going to pay the bills, right? Even for a single guy living cheap, that's not going to do it. So 150,000 across 10 years. Yes. And I was like, at the time, like 10th on the money list or something at that point. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's nothing. Right. Like I did, I was fortunate. I did well. You know, I worked hard, 
I got to see the world. I got to, you know, be profitable in that sense. But like, that's not a living. So the way you got a living was you wrote. And the thing about writing about Magic the Gathering is what people want to see is strategy. They want to know how to win, right? To beat the other guy. Yeah. But that's, so that's incredibly valuable to them. They highly value winning. They spend a lot of money on cards. They spend a lot of money on equipment like sleeves. They spend a lot of money on transportation. They spend a lot of time. They really want to win. So there's a willingness to pay. But again, they're not going to like put money in the collection plate. You have to charge them. But also your information is more valuable if other people can't see it. Right. Right? So like when I say here's a great new deck, if this information is exclusive, that information is so much more valuable because it's not – no one else is ready for it. They don't adjust, right, in the same way. So at uh, what was called at the time uh, Brain Burst, I believe, it was when we pioneered it, we introduced the first paywall to Magic the Gathering with my strong support. I got mocked ruthlessly for being actively in favor of this, right? And I said, well, if you want to support quality writers to do quality writing, this is the only way you have to pay them. And the only way to pay them is to charge for the right to read what they have to say. And so, you know, that allowed us to step up and I started earning a lot more money per article after that happened. And then there started being more than one paywall. And today I kind of curse it in some sense because I want to read the stuff, but I don't want to subscribe. Right. <laughs> but I understand why it's there. And if I wanted it badly enough, I would subscribe. It's not that much money, but so it's yeah, I get it. Right. So it sounds like the secret of how this all works well synergistically is if you have knowledge that you actually want to keep suppressed as much as possible so that uh, the people the people who want the secret knowledge will pay for it and are happy that it remains secret. But that's much harder for like starting a broader conversation with the entire world because the whole point is for it not to be secret. Exactly. Like, like One of the most successful substacks, as I understand it, is like financial substacks have some of the most successful substacks. And they can charge a lot of money, like $50 a month or more. And the exclusivity is an advantage, right? Because if everybody gets the information at the same time and everybody tries to crowd into the same trade, that's no good, right? You don't want that. You want to be part of an exclusive club. You want to know what other people don't know for that. And that's in sharp contrast with what I'm doing. Exactly. We're just trying to start a conversation. So I decided very early on when I realized that I was in a position where I could consider some sort of paywall, that I was just, no, I am not doing this, right? I am not paying any of my content where it can't be seen, that destroys the whole point. And yeah, there, there might be a point, right, if I was big enough and wasn't being otherwise supported where I'd have to figure out something. And it's unclear because, like, Scott Alexander has much, much better conversion rates to paid than I do. And he still gates only, like, 5% of his stuff, right? So it's not insane to say, well, okay, maybe if you, if you gated, you know, a very small amount, maybe you did some AMAs behind the paywall, which a lot of people do but otherwise don't gate their stuff, you know, maybe you gate some comments on some posts. Maybe you gate like some other like very special stuff or you gate for some period of time or you do very other thing. You could try something, but yeah, I don't want any of that, right? I don't want, I don't want to do ads. I don't want to do pay. I don't want to do gates. I just want to be like, here, here's where we are and we'll find a way. And again, luckily for now, at least, you know, I found a way and I can sustain this. And I think it's been really successful at what it wants to do, but you know, people in general are not so lucky. I really want to pioneer at some point or someone to pioneer ways for people to consume zero marginal cost content on the web where there, there isn't just infinite different gates, right? Like you you pay your one amount and you have access mm -hmm. to, in some form, everything and the money is distributed like appropriately. 
but it's well, a hard what problem. if there was what if there was some sort of competitive conspiracy where people <laughs> signed up to join the conspiracy and then they would just get to see everything that was within that conspiracy and the person who ran runs the conspiracy would split up the money based on the readership of each individual conspirator within it i mean i, I have work, this right? idea well we have this idea where what if you know we got a bunch of people who were creating information and, and refining it together and then all together, we created a central source where you could get a bunch of information that you wanted to know. And you could pay us once. We could call it a newspaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It sounds fishy. They still make those? I hear that business model doesn't work anymore. But you know, one could try it. And I obviously don't begrudge like that you have to pay for the newspaper, right? Or, But at the same time, like, you know, right now, the good articles will come out from – you know, a dozen different newspapers and then a yeah. dozen different tertiary, secondary websites and then a couple dozen tertiary websites. And I would be happy to pay a bulk rate for all of them, but you can't subscribe to these, all of them. They cost, each one of them is costing over a hundred dollars a year. You can't do it. You, we need micropayments, right? Of some kind, or we mm-hmm. need distributed payments off of subscriptions. We need to find a solution. And until then, like the discourse is going to be and – and the information flow is going to be so much worse than it could be because the best sources are the ones that are gating themselves to our yeah. extent. You had parlayed this into a writing gig as part of the COVID thing, right? But uh, since the big AI revolution has uh, has happened with LLMs, it's you've pivoted almost entirely to covering the AI advances over the past – what, last, last year and a half or so? Two years? It actually hasn't been a year yet. You can trace it because I put a weekly post. Oh my God. Every, every week I put up a weekly post and it's numbered. Right, so this week's is number forty-nine. So this is week forty-nine oh, right okay. now. I know exactly when I started, right, because of that. It just and, feels like it's been longer, doesn't it? Because something oh just my happened. God, did it feel like it was longer? I I hear you completely, but it just hasn't. So what happened was, you know, for COVID, for a while, the news kept coming in. If you were looking for it, right, if you had all of the curated lists that have all of the medical people and all the people who are so concerned about it and so on, and there were still things to say. But it was becoming rapidly obvious that it was increasingly less valuable to the regular person and that regular people didn't need to pay attention anymore. And so I decided to finally – I was going to wind it down. And so early, very early in 2023, I said, OK, we're done. And I, I wrote a post called Your Best Possible Situation, which is that you don't have to write the post anymore. Right? You can stop. You don't have to pay attention to this. You can just go live your life. We're back to normal. right? Mm-hmm. And I was very happy about that. And I had a plan that I was going to write a significant sequence – about uh, based on the book A Pattern Language by Christopher Alexander about architecture and design of spaces. And I got as far as reading the giant thousand page book and, and starting some drafts up and having extensive notes. But I posted on Twitter as a joke, repeat, as a joke, weekly post, weekly COVID post replaced by weekly AI post question mark because there was a lot <laughs> going on that week. Yep. And then this became like not viral, but very strong. Like a bunch of people going, yeah, go do that. A lot of likes, a lot of likes from people I respect. And I'm just seriously, like nobody else seemed to think mm-hmm. it was a joke, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fine, I'll give it a sh-. I was like, and, and there was already a, a god damn it, I don't want to do this, right? But like, I guess someone has to try and do this. So I did it. And I posted AI number one. And then I'm like, I have no idea. It's again the nervousness of, well, I don't know machine learning. I haven't studied this. What if I'm just an idiot? Like, in case, in case anyone listening to this, has that voice in their head all the time. Mm. Like it's everyone, right? Nobody doesn't have that voice in their head through first approximation when they're trying to do things like that. 
right? Everyone's yeah. worried. You always start out with minimal knowledge and you have to build up from, from zero. Yeah, and even when you don't have minimal knowledge, like you just don't know at first, right? Am I going to suck? Am I completely mm, out yeah. of my depth? You know, just the, the imposter syndrome thing is just so universal. And I just, I think people don't understand this and then they they think something's wrong with them or whatever. And they just don't worry about it. It's fine. Mm. And so I put it out there. It's like 10,000 words long. Eliezer retweets it and says, read this. It's long and full of gold. Mm. <laughs> and the post does really well. And then it's like, well, I'm glad it worked out, but now I have to do number two, <laughs> right? I have to keep going. And then what just boggled my mind was I had looked back after number like three or four, and it's like, these are all, you know, 10,000 plus word monstrosities. <laughs> like every week. Yeah. Like, how does this happen? How is this I, much I, happening? Honestly, I don't read them in full anymore just because it took too long just to read it, you know? There's so much. I respect the hell out of that. I try to provide like help, right, for people who don't want to read the whole thing. To say, you know, yeah. here are the ones that are the most important. Here are the ones that are least important sometimes. I did that last week. And uh, that is very useful. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you like it's like, – you, you write something and often it's like, well, you know, if I was writing this for somewhere where I had a limited amount of space, I would just kill this chapter, right? Like this is just mm. not that important if you're prioritizing. But – the people who are interested, I think, will get value out of this. I don't want to just delete it, right? It's not worthless. So then you have yeah. to, like, explain, okay, this is your priority. This is less of a priority. You know, you try to move on from there. And I'm learning as I go. But the feedback is miserably thin, right? Yeah. Like, when you're a writer on the internet, you oh, yeah. are flying so blind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you'd you ask, how does it happen that, you know, you're able to keep writing 10,000-word posts every week? And it's it's because it feels like you know, three years worth of stuff has happened in the last 49 weeks. So there's a lot, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. And also like I'm simultaneously covering, right? Like capabilities developments and cultural developments and discourse developments and safety developments like all at once. So, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of feels like I'm combining like four or five different newsletters into one newsletter. And a lot of why I'm doing that is because I think it's really important that people see the safety stuff and the discussions around that, right? And I, I want them to understand that angle of the situation. Yeah. And I also know the people who need to read that, a lot of them would be completely unwilling to read that if that was all it was, right? Yeah. So, so you lead with the mundane utility. You lead with like practical stuff that everybody wants to hear about that's fun, that's practical, that's interesting, then you get into like the news and the like what's happening, like state current stuff, right? Like, you know, what are the mm. big events? And then once you've earned their attention, right, you can say, okay, let's talk about this other stuff. If you want to, you don't have to. No one's forcing you to read anything you don't want to read. But it's also diffused into the other stuff, right? Like, like you, you note the implications. Just this last weekend, I was at a science fiction convention, a really small one here down in uh, Colorado Springs. And there was someone on one of the panels who was – uh, still pushing the stochastic parrot model. And it, I don't know, it, it was a little disheartening to see, but also since it was a science fiction convention, everyone is kind of more or less up on what the LLMs can do. And so they were basically already, you know, I am dismissing what you're saying. Obviously, these things are very powerful. And the one or two people that agreed with him were already entrenched in that. So it's interesting the way the, um, there's still some people pushing like, no, no, there's nothing here. D no need to worry about any of this. I feel like those people just aren't using the thing. It looked like he seemed had to have a vested interest to think there's no way humanity can be uh, can be threatened by anything here. I think there's a both people who just 
don't want to hear it or believe it. And they just find a way to pretend it's not there. And also people who look at it, they're generally just not that impressed in some broad sense. And when I think about most of the things that I'm doing with it, I can't dismiss from that evidence the parrot hypothesis, right? Like from those particular queries, because mostly I want a stochastic parrot out of my LMUs, right? Like 90% of the time that I am using a large language model, I do not want it to do the thing they're claiming it cannot do, but I want it to do exactly the thing they're claiming it is doing, which is I want you to retrieve, right? The contextually correct version of the information or explanation that I want. And I want you to like understand and tune it to this circumstance, but I'm not asking you to be like original. I want a glorified search engine. I do not want a new best friend. Exactly. I want a glorified search engine. It's not that I don't want new friends. I would love new friends. <laughs> I'm constantly trying to get new good actual friends that are humans. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would love to also have an, one of the things I think I can chat to. But I quickly realized it's not there yet. right? I, these people yeah. were on Character AI for an average of hours a day. And it is an average of hours a day. They seem to think they found a friend, I have to assume in some form, or they enjoy it telling stories or whatnot. And my conclusion was, mostly it's just really bad at that. It's not there. Well, a few months ago, they introduced Pi, right? The companion AI. Like, it's going to be your pal. And why? (laughs) Have you tried it? I tried it very briefly, but it seemed dumb. And then, like, the AI behind it just wasn't very smart. But, like, I also just, you know, I don't want that product. They're not that interesting yet. You know, I don't get what people are getting out of these. Yeah, we don't need AI chatbots to suck up hours of our day on the internet. People already have social media. <laughs> Real quick, because everybody loves gossip, what is your idea of exactly what happened with at OpenAI in uh, November, December? So, you know, the core thing that happened, basically, the board had reached a... You have to start, you know, you always say in the beginning, the universe was created. You know, it's very, <laughs> a lot of people are very angry and it's widely regarded as a bad move. Or you can start with, oh, the board was deadlocked in some important sense, right? There were three people on the board who did not want Altman to be able to appoint people he wanted to the board. And EA had gotten somewhat of a bad reputation after the whole FTX fiasco. And a combination of factors caused Altman to be willing to use deceptive practices to some extent, exactly what extent we will never know, probably, to attempt to remove Helen Toner from the board using a pretext of a paper she wrote, but it was almost certainly just a pretext. And he did things, it seems, like tell other members of the board that third members of the board were okay with removing Toner in order to try and generate a consensus that Toner needed to be removed, after which he would then have an effective majority. And a combination of things were noticed. Uh, Four of the six members of the board put this situation together. And when the CEO of a company is lying to the board of that company, it is the job of that company's board to fire that CEO's ass. Yeah. Right. Like that is just 101. This is, in fact, what the board is there to do, which is if they, if the CEO has gone rogue on them, such as lying to the board about control of the board, by the way, not over like some little zinky thing, right? This is, this is not like one of these sex scandals or something where like it's completely unrelated to the job and you have to wonder, like, does this really matter? This is just directly the most central case of what you cannot do with the CEO and not get fired by your board. And so yeah. the board fired him, but. For whatever reason, they lawyered up and were unwilling to tweet through it and explain what they were doing. And this caused them to rapidly look like idiots 
or coup masters or power grabbers or like they were concerned about safety or nobody even knew, but they lost control of the narrative. Some people who are very good at controlling narrative went on very strong propaganda campaigns and they drove a narrative. They, fit, they, they planted things in the press and they just won the hearts and minds over the next few days. The board had a choice. They could let Altman come back or they could see whether whether the company was going to survive in any real form. Like there, there were two scenarios if OpenAI falls apart, right? Either everyone goes to Microsoft, which I don't think was that likely because I think everybody just really doesn't want to do that. And then Microsoft just has control of OpenAI and that's obviously terrible. And the other option is that like half of the thousand most talented engineers in the world at teaching people how to build large language models are now for hire <laughs> yeah. by anyone who wants it or they're founding new companies. And that seems way worse than OpenAI, mm -hmm. right? Like even if you think OpenAI is net negative, like it exists. You can't undo the, you can't go back in time, right? This is not Terminator. Like <laughs> OpenAI exists. If you think they're Cyberdyne, they're Cyberdyne, but it's better than them than a hundred Cyberdynes. You just, and, and they care about, you know, they care about safety some. They're not, they're not the worst by any means. It's, you, you can be so much worse than that, you know? And so like, you try to make it work and you accept that it's not that great. And the board held firm. They called, they called, they called the bluff twice, right? They're like, you know, reinstate, resign by that, by this time, by this date or else. And twice they're like, Nabro. <laughs> and then the or else didn't happen. And eventually they actually got a compromise. They got a board that is, you know, plausibly unclear or neutral, maybe even, you know, not that friendly to Altman, right? He only has Taylor as a clearly friendly face. And even Taylor, like, has shown a great willingness to stand up to some very powerful, very rich people when he thinks that they're wrong. I think all three of them show signs of being willing to do the right thing. I think that D'Angelo is a clear, he knows what Altman did, right? So that's one vote already, if things come down to it. So I think there's a decent chance we'll get a good board, right? And we'll see. The, the battle is not over until the new board comes in. Do we have a date on that? No. They're, they're okay. ready when they're ready. And this is one of the things you don't want to rush, right? Like... Not-for-profit boards are this insane thing where if you have control of the board for five seconds, you just own the company forever if you want to. Mm. And I've seen this happen where like the wrong people get a majority and then they take control and then it's a, just trying to get it back is just such a nightmare. So much better to take your time, negotiate, find the full new board and then put the whole board in place at once than like try to be cute. Before I forget, I wanted to mention just one thing, which was uh, about – people not trying things and not doing things because they just like assume from the outset that it's too difficult rather than even just take the first step of Google. What does it take to do the thing? And you know, like I went to high school with a guy who was funny and thought, it, you know, he, he thought it'd be fun to write for comedy shows. And I don't think he's done a ton, but he's got IMDb credits on shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm sure those jobs are highly sought after, but it's, it's and you know, I mean, I, I know lots of people are successful, lots of stuff, but this is just like one, you know, 16 year old with like a an ambition and rather than say like everyone else does of oh man that's 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 too hard everyone else is doing it there's better people at this than me or whatever he just tried it and look got it um but then you had this way of phrasing it that i really liked uh assume that there's some in inadequate equilibri equilibria you know just because the solution to you seems obvious doesn't mean that other people have actually tried it did i butcher that too badly <laughs> i forget so i definitely have the common saying people don't do things Right. Right. And that, that's core to my philosophy of how the universe operates and how people work. Uh, but in terms of this other thing, yeah, I basically, you know, don't assume the efficient market hypothesis applies. Don't assume the obvious things have been tried by anybody at all. Don't assume 
you know, the, the door isn't essentially unguarded if someone actually is willing to do things and try. You know, that's just basic, basic one-on-one stuff to me. Awesome. And, yeah, I just wanted yeah. to make sure that beat made it to the episode in case anyone hadn't heard it yet. So, yeah, it's one of those lessons that you know, it's a more DACA rule, right? Like one of my principles of more DACA is there are a lot of things where have you tried more of this, right? This is good, yeah. but more of this would be better. You should make sure that you are using enough because maybe there's more to be had if you just use more, especially if, it, if it's not working, but even if it is working. And this is one of those things where like I do not just try to do something as often as I should, right? No, Almost nobody has the high enough level of agency and taking initiative, right? There's there's maybe a handful of people that have too much, but you know it would not be surprising to me if they're just that was not a thing. Right. And that like the Elon Musk of the world just have the correct amount of agents. I'm going to very quickly see if you will join me on a particular hobby horse of mine. I personally think that uh, agency people start out life with a fair bit more agency than they seem to exhibit in adulthood. And I think it's specifically because the uh, school slash child prison system beats it out of people, just really teaches them to suppress any agency that they had. And do you think this is the case as well, or do you think there's a something less less easily pointed at? Yes, I don't think that's the full story, right? I, I think it's yeah. a simplification, but I would say the majority of the effect is in fact from the school system and the ripples from the existence of the school system. Yeah. I think that parents also often end up doing this because it makes their lives easier, whether they intended mm. to or not, and you know our also, like most jobs don't want you to particularly be an agent either, right? Yeah. Like, like it's just our entire society is based on this idea that, you know, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to learn to do as you are supposed to do. And I don't think we are particularly bad, right, compared to like historical circumstances or anything at a lot of this. Although I think in some specific areas, but I think it's just – this is what happens. A child is born very curious. A child is born willing to try stuff and do things. And then mostly you hammer into them to stop when you should be hammering yeah. into them to keep going because most of the time when they're trying to do something weird, you don't want them to do that right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very inconvenient to you. And you know it's probably not going to end up well, but it, it just teaches the wrong lesson over and over. It's really hard as a parent, right? And I struggle with this. I have three kids to – like enforce the right general principles that will keep somebody curious and agency and build them up to be able to like feel like they can do things. While simultaneously have to constantly tell them they can't do what they want to be doing right now. <laughs> because like that would break stuff or that would be unsafe or like that would be really loud and you have to sh- know I've got guests or, or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. it's even more frustrating when your kid is like not displaying good agency and you're trying to instill it and they're just not hearing you, right? Like, yeah. it's just, there's nothing more depressing than your kid having like a homework assignment. You know he knows how to do. You know he knows how to do it. He's done this kind of thing before. Worst case scenario, you can figure it out. And he spends like way longer protesting that he could not do this than you know it would take him to figure out how to do it and do it. Mm. I feel right? seen like, in, just, that, in that analysis. <laughs> but I, I, I think that tightrope block... So I, I agree that like the the school system I think plays a large part there, but that that tightrope walk that you're describing makes me feel a little sympathetic towards the system and like the agents involved in it, like you know, the teachers and whatever, because it's hard enough with three kids, probably hard with one, 
way harder with 30 or whatever, how many are in the class, right? And you know, if, if you, and especially if you have to actually do something for all of them, like teach them whatever mm-hmm. it is that day. If you have 30 kids trying to be as, you know, agenty as they can all, all period, you're not going to get anything done. So it's kind of just like this, you know, messy system, right? I mean, I fully endorse the principle of it's not the incentives, it's you, right? That like, you can't just blame your incentives for doing bad things. But at the same time, the school system is like very much set up such that the teachers are not in a position that makes it easy on them if they want to like help kids have more agency rather than less agency, right? Like, I feel like any teacher that did do that would become so beaten down and disillusioned by the system around them and what their management demands of them that they would eventually quit. I had, like you just... I had a philosophy professor that had that exact trajectory. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, he was a great teacher. A lot of, uh, you know, he, he did a, a version of Quarrel Points in his class and, uh, you know, had, had his kind of own uh, style and a lot of his non-class time was spent arguing with the brass and then eventually just had to like say, all right, screw this amount. Um, I mean, my, my understanding yeah. is that essentially every teacher comes in, you know, some set wide-eyed, intending to, like, help the kids do better and learn, and it's going to be so exciting, and I'm going to, like, make them make them reach their full potential. And then reality smacks them in the face, and they're all disillusioned, and then some of them find ways to carry on and still, like, try to do their best, and they make their lives worse to help try to make the students' lives better than they would have been. But even then, they're struggling because the structure of the system just, like, is being these kids down and they can't be with them all the time. And they've got other kids, they've got other teachers and other classes through the years and it's just a struggle. But yeah, that, 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 that special teacher, you know, you've got one, the one that cares, the one that yeah. cares about you and make like the things that matter, not just the particular subject matter. Right. right? And like, yeah. you're even, you're lucky even when you find the person who really, really cares about the subject matter, right? The physics teacher who's like really, really loves physics and wants you to love physics. And like, Oh yeah. Even, I'll, I'll remember even those teachers is, the rest of my life. Yeah. yeah. Right, those mm-hmm. teachers, those teachers you remember for the rest of your life anyway, and the ones that like actually go farther than that are just like off the charts good. But at the same time, they're you know they're very rare, right? How many of them did we have, right? And I'm not, and again, like I'm not saying that like the ordinary teacher isn't like doing their best to in a very bad situation. That's great, but yeah, the system is just terrible for like any kid who doesn't want this to happen to them, right? I mean. You could say like, okay, it's kind of fine if, you know, 75% of the people in a given country, like don't have that much agency because there are a lot of jobs that don't require the agency and someone's got to do them and they can like live normal, happy lives and it's fine. But like, Eh. you know, it's not great. I don't don't want to say it's fine. I think even people in normal jobs can, can have some agency and that a lot of employers are kind of screwing themselves by, by drumming all agency out of people. There's definitely... Definitely, it gets taken too far quite a lot, but I, I do have sympathy, right? I do have the understanding of American workers, Western workers are so much vastly more productive than workers who, you know, right. exist in other in other areas with other methods. So there is that. But I do I do recall reading this was more than a decade now ago, uh, but reading about the various Japanese factory systems where they gave the workers just a modicum enough agency so that. They felt like they had some input over the work and a little bit of pride in what they were doing. And it made just so much more of a difference than, you know, shut up, do this one thing over and over and don't complain and clock in, clock out. 
I mean, I bet if you look at the Japanese schools, right, they are not not beating the That's true. out of their kids. <laughs> like from yeah. what I know from like the Persona series and like various television, other places, <laughs> and, and various culture, like the Japanese are not better than us about encouraging their students to think for themselves and try stuff right. and like, you know, seize the yeah. day. No, they're not. And so it still worked in Japan, right? Like Japan gave the workers ownership of the car manufacturing process, right, to some small extent. And this really mm-hmm. helped. That's not what Japan, to be clear, like this is not as far as, like, my understanding is like the normal default of Japan is called the salary man. Yeah. Right? It's this completely other thing that is like, you kind of just become like a serf to a lord almost. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and they own you for life, right? If you, if you try to switch jobs, it's a black mark on you forever. And they pay you what you need and they like have a giant hierarchy that you slowly maybe advance on over the course of decades. And you do not have agency, right? That's that's a good point. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm like, on, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Just the idea that like, yeah, you can do much better by giving people agency. That works with these people who don't really have the instinct to have agency. Because if you, if you just like direct them and you kind of say, okay, here's the agency, whether you like it or not, they actually do really well with that, right? A lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they just won't naturally take it for themselves. I think there's a lot of things like, you know, there are a lot of people who will just sit around at home and not call their friends and not try to make anything happen. Yeah. But like if you invite them to a party or just to hang out, they'll come and they'll have a great time. Right. And like yeah. it's just it's that but writ large. Well, uh, we should probably pivot to the topic I actually invited you on for. Uh, I've read your Simulacrum and Immoral Mazes series a few times. Uh the Simulacrum series in particular, because I just can't quite get it. And then I heard you talking about it again recently with Spencer Greenberg. And I, there's something that isn't clicking for me. So one of the major reasons for having you on here is wanting to ask you about this and uh, solidify it a little bit more in my brain. Um, Stephen, are you familiar with the Simulacrum thing? Yeah. And of course, the other, ma- the other major reason to have you on is that we could talk with these V. This is awesome. Um, That's true. Yeah, I, I I also listened to the Green uh, the Clear Thinking episode, which uh, everyone should listen to. It's a fun podcast. Um, I feel like he's a pretty good host, and I like his his habit of uh, rephrasing things to make sure he understands, which is uh, a nice clarifying move. Um, yeah, I, I was really happy with that podcast, and I think because we're short on time, and because you know, I think that went so well. You know, if people want to understand the basics of how the simulacra process works, like in general, I'm just going to say listen to that podcast. And that podcast will cover that. And it's yeah. worth listening to. And we're going to like try to deconfuse you in particular. Right? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> All right. So uh, the simulacra almost seems to be a way to talk about how humans communicate with each other uh, and what they're specifically trying to do when they're communicating with each other. And if I understand correctly, simulacra level one is just when you are directly trying to tell somebody else a true thing about the world, or at least a thing that you believe is the true thing about the world, right? Yeah, simulacra level one is the easiest one, right? It's the thing that, like, everybody who thinks like me just wishes everybody was doing exclusively this all the time, right? It would be so much better. Whereas just, I know something, and I tell you that something, because if you know more things, you will make better decisions, you will be able to make the world better, it would be good. So here is some true information to have you have a better model of the world so that you can, you know, make make better decisions, do better things, coordinate with me, etc. And that's very straightforward. You know, one of the big dangers of the higher levels is when you lose sight of that, right? So, yeah. yeah. 
So, so like a, 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 state, uh, a, right. a level one example would be like uh, on the nice weather months, we do a monthly, I don't know, kind of picnic, less wrong meetup here in the Denver area. And, you know, if Enosh and I are coordinating and I text him and I'm like, hey, you know, it's uh, forecasting rain for Saturday afternoon. That's just a fact. Uh, that that's a level one statement, right? The the level two impl- implication of that of that, I guess, being like heads up, pack some umbrellas or something. You know, like it, it's me wanting him to believe that rather than just me saying that, right? So the idea of level one is that like you're not telling him this because you are you think this will cause him to pack umbrellas because like you have use for some extra umbrellas and you want to then borrow one or something, right? You want to you're telling him this because it will make him realize you know, that he might want to bring umbrellas, that he will make the correct calculation and choose whether or not to bring umbrellas. Or you you think it would be the correct decision to bring umbrellas and you want to improve the thinking of the group so that they will make that decision. But, you know, it's not it's not that you don't select which information is most valuable or that you, you know, think might steer towards the decisions you want at all. It's that, you know, it's true information, right? Like, so like at level two, you say it might rain because you want the umbrellas brought. <laughs> But not because it might rain. I, I, if, if this uh, if this example won't scale, we can totally just start with a with a better one. Uh, it occurs to me I'm not, I'm not sure right, what level works. four of this would be. So, and it's um, kind of interesting to choose a new one, right? That I've never heard before, right? And so, right. you know, it's it gets kind of silly at level three, right? Because like, you know, you well, wanna... hold on. before we before we go to level three. Yeah. So the the thing with level two is that now you, instead of just trying to convey true things that you believe about the world, you are, you have a model of the other person uh, in your head, which is where the simulacra term comes from. And you are trying to change that model using, or change the, the, the person in the real world using words rather than just giving them true beliefs. Is that correct? Well, the idea is a level two that... You say words so that they will believe something and then act the way they would if they believed that. Now, if you're just saying true things, that's identical to level one, right? So is level two only count as level two when you're lying? Well, no. If you say something like in order to induce someone to do something, but it happens – like level two is when you – level two does not – okay. So this is – like so like the truth – you ever heard the term the truth is the best lie? Um. Actually, I think I have, yeah. Right. The idea being you can't ever be caught lying if you told the truth. But yeah. if you present the truth in a way that is in isolation misleading or that steers them towards the decision you want them to make, right? You framed it in a certain way. It's selective information. I mean, I think in my opinion, that's just a lie. Like if I want someone to believe it's going to rain tomorrow because I think it's going to rain tomorrow, that just seems like a level one statement to me. And it, it's weird to call it a level two statement that I want them to believe a true thing. Like that's just, that's what you're doing with level one. I want you to believe this true thing, I believe. Well, like suppose, for example, you looked at three weather forecasters, right? Mm -hmm. And the CBS weather forecaster said 50% chance of rain. And the NBC forecaster said 75% chance of rain. And the CNN forecaster said 100% chance of rain. And you really don't like getting wet. So you just told the guy, the CNN forecaster said there's 100% chance of rain. Mm. That's, not being honest, right? But it's a true right. statement. But it's basically based on your fact that it might rain. So like it's um so essentially like you don't if if what you care about is not like making their model accurate, what you care about is what the output of the model will be in terms of actions, then it becomes level two, even if you're not lying. Okay. Right. Like right. why did you choose makes sense yeah, now? Yeah. Right. And so like 
one of the big things I emphasize in the blog, right, is that I will share information even when it is unhelpful to my preferences in terms of what you do, right? If it is relevant to making the right decision, to understanding the situation, if it has unfortunate implications, that's just reality, right? That's too bad. I want to get your opinion on something. What if, uh, based on this, you shared the 75% one because – one, it's just a pain in the ass to be like, oh, I researched seven sources and these are the things. But 75% seems to be right in the middle. That is as honest as I can get simply. Would that be okay with level one again? Even though I'm not sharing everything, I'm doing basically my best to convey what I think is the most likely average outcome. I mean, obviously, you know, you have considerations of bandwidth and, you know, cost of communication and so on. So certainly saying in that example, you know, the weather forecasters collectively said 75% chance of rain would be a reasonable statement, you know, if you thought it would be understood reasonably by that person, right? You always have to ask hmm. yourself, you know, how is this going to be interpreted, right? Like, are they going to hear it the way that I said it? One of the ways to do level two well, in some sense, is to say things that are true, but knowing the other person will hear something else, right? Because then, like, you're still, like, on, not on the hook for having lied to them in some important sense, right? It's all misunderstanding. <laughs> I... Okay, I understand. I just I think the the only honest way to do that is to say things that are true in a way that you think will get the listener as closest to true as you can get them. Right. Your level one is where you're like, I'm going to move them towards truth in the places that like are relevant here, and then let them make their own decisions. I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to be you know cooperative. And level two, like yeah, you're treating them as like someone to be like given the right inputs to get the right outputs, right? Like, which is... So is, is level two always frowned upon as some version of lying or is there a, you know, morally appropriate way of doing this where it's, you know, this was the right way to communicate even if uh, it, it you know, it was, the, it, was the, it was the truth, but it wasn't the whole truth, nothing but the truth, right? Right, or it is a lie, right? Sometimes it is a lie, absolutely. So different people have different, different cultures and different places have different norms for you know, how deceptive you should be in different circumstances, right? Like how much you should focus on getting to the right answer, no matter what it takes. And like, you would be a fool to never think about this strategic question in any interaction, right? Like when you go down to the government office to get your driver's license to the DMV, right? Do you share the whole truth so they can make the best possible decision on exactly whether or not they should approve your license? <laughs> You're not an idiot, right? Like, you know, that would be dumb. Like, you don't lie to them, but like, you know, you are, you are there to accomplish a mission. You want them to give you the thing. And that is the mode you're in. I, I'm a little bit on the side of that, you know, technically this is, this would be a bad thing, except you're dealing with a hostile entity. So some of the rules get altered. I think more of a, when level two can be okay, is if you know that if you said the literal truth, someone would understand the wrong thing in a way that's harmful to them. There are a lot of very considered widely pro-social level two activities that people engage in where they say that which is not with the best of intentions, right? Like, come on, man, you can be confident. You got this, right? Mm. You don't look fat in that dress. <laughs> like, as two obvious examples, right? Where you're yeah. like, you're lying, but also like, you know, children on, on, on Christmas, the Santa Claus is going to come and deliver all the presents, but only if you're good. Right. Yeah. Oh, so, I don't know how I feel about this. I, just I know. I really hate the lying so much. I'm not saying I, it's good. I'm saying 
Americans would vote to approve these messages, right? These are widely approved messages, all, all three. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to think of examples where level two can be okay if you're trying to be a good person. And I, like, the only thing I can think of is if you told them the literal truth that they would misinterpret it in a way that leads to believing false things. So you have to somehow give enough context or something. There's also the situations where you, like, just, you know someone would not handle something well, so you find a way around telling them, right? And that's... Mm. Sometimes it's not like you shouldn't really burst in and say your wife's cheating on you. Maybe you should be a little bit more, you know, situationally aware sometimes. Yeah, I, I can think of a couple. I can think of a couple things related to this. And one, I, I like that how much just level one and two here relates to uh, Sam Harris's short book that he wrote 10, 15 years ago called Lying. And by and large, like most of the problems that we encounter in life are just the result of you know lies that we didn't need to tell, and you almost never need to lie, other than. In cases like where you know, I was just talking about with the DMV, where it's like this is a hostile entity, lying is the is the last step before violence. But uh, like a, an example of, of telling a benevolent, um, true true thing that you know is calculated in a certain way. If that calculation feels dirty to you, then maybe this is wrong. But like you know, Enosh, whatever like your your P doom is for the day. Like if someone asks you who you don't think would handle that sort of conversation, or you know. Uh, prospect very well you could give them your your p not doom which you know as long as it's more than 50 just sounds better even though it's the same thing yeah i mean but, it isn't but yes <laughs> by by same thing i mean it's the other hot yeah. the other half of that that no i mean it isn't, it isn't more than 50 it would be unfortunate uh you can't just uh you can't flipping flipping the number in the wrong direction is, is kind of weird but um, I, I meant for Enosh is whatever his whatever his number like if say if his if his was thirty percent his P doom then he could say yeah. you know someone asks hey man I, I heard some stuff about AI you know how how do you you know how do you feel like this is going oh no man I, I feel like there's like a seventy percent chance this could work out yeah good uh, news the ninety nine percent chance this plane won't crash right right like yeah but like I mean I think someone who hears that will immediately go wait a minute you didn't say one hundred I do know I do know what the one percent Holy, wait, 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 what? Yeah, right? 99 might but, be a little too high as to not raise eyebrows, but... Uh, well, I mean, he said there's a 90% chance this plane won't crash. I'm like, I knew it was at least that high, but, like, I still don't want to get on this plane, right? Like, I very much don't want to get on this plane. Like, to be fair, like, I get on planes because I think there's a 99.9999% chance this plane won't crash regularly, right? Like, something like that. So, so there's that. So I think probably the most evil aspect of level two thinking is basically the lying for Jesus kind of thing where you are telling people a lie because you want them to do something which you think is for their benefit anyway. And the example that broke me finally and just made me no longer trust institutions was when Fauci came out and said that masks don't work stopping COVID because he wanted people to not buy them so we could have them for emergency workers. And I understand that motivation. I think Obviously, the emergency workers needed them a lot more. But on the other hand, you just lied to me to manipulate my behavior. Now I can never trust you again. You noticed uh, one of the simulacra posts uses that as one of the prime examples of level two, actually. I talk about Fauci as a level two individual who continued to be level two throughout the pandemic, right? Like in a good way. Like he, he's, his goal throughout the pandemic was how do I get people to do the thing they should do, yeah. right? What do I say that will cause them to react the way I want? And... If that meant lying to them, he was down with that. And, yeah. you know, some people are fine with that and some people are not. And it's a, you know, it has costs and it has benefits on many levels. So you, know, you can decide. 
but there's certainly people who call their podcast the Bayesian Conspiracy are going to be very much in the I really, really hate saying that which is not or causing someone to believe that which is not, even when it is strategically useful. But, you know, throughout history, people have created their cultures on a backbone of things that are not technically true. Yeah, it's a bad history that we got behind us here. But also, it's not – I think a lot of what we're, we're seeing lately is kind of what happens when you try to take that away in many places. Really? Like, yeah. Like where you you say we're going to stop with the unfortunate – we're going to stop with the unprincipled exceptions and the unfortunate contradictions and the places where you know we have these principles and then we don't always live up to them because like life is messy and impractical. And then we try to like enforce the stories we were been telling ourselves this whole time for real. Oh, okay. See, I that's that's where they go wrong. They should be getting rid of those stupid stories because those were not accurate to begin with, as opposed right. to trying to enforce them. Well, yeah, but with that, it, we don't. We 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 could be in here all day, and then I probably have to cut half of it out. <laughs> I have an inflection, but yeah, we don't. That's not how this usually goes, right? Like it's you know, and, and this comes back to like you know. Whatever you think of religion, right? Like a lot of the time, people really are like, no, I want my kids to believe this because it will make them better people. Well, there are some cases where this is true, but I think we can literally get rid of all the lies and bad stuff and keep the good stuff if we put a little bit of work into this. I think that statement is completely false. It is not a little bit of work. Ooh. Oh, we can we can brawl about this at some point. Well, I mean, like, not today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, like maybe there's a way, but it ain't easy. Like, don't pretend that, like, everyone's just being a little bit lazy. If they had a little bit more agency, suddenly we could all stop, like... All right, it's not easy, but it's worth the work. Yeah, not not a little work, but a lot of work. That, I think that was the, the crux there. Well, uh, because we see what happens when you don't do the work. People just don't believe you at all, and they're like, I can't trust anything you say. I guess maybe the Earth is flat, you know? The the failure mode isn't just uh, we we believe the stories and everything hunky dory. The failure mode is now we believe nothing at all. It's a it's a it's a risk, but also like not as bad as you might make it out to be. I guess in general, like you have this thing where like parents tell their kids that Santa Claus exists for a very long time, very repeatedly. Swear to God, and then they kind of get over it. I. I, I, those kids are dumb. They should never trust their parents again. I'm coming out on record. Kids, don't trust your parents if they told you about Santa Claus. Hold on. Before, I, before we uh, go hard on the record on that, Zvi, do your parents, <laughs> or, or did your, uh, have you told your kids about Santa? No, we're Jewish. <laughs> ah, get out of jail, free card. Armadillo, though. <laughs> no, we, we, we might, you know, we have, we do celebrate Christmas at this point because, like, the in-laws like to celebrate Christmas, but... We're very straightforward that, like, the parents and the grandparents buy the presents. Like, we're not pretending anything else is happening. Right. But, right. And it worked out just fine. Yes. But what I'm saying is, like, you're, you're the Bayesian conspiracy, right? So, like, mm. how much did you – if you're 25 years old and you're talking to your mom, how much did you, did you update the true value of your mother's statements based on her having told you there was a Santa Claus? Like, I really don't think well, very much. I was – I was raised Jehovah's Witness, so they didn't do that. But on the other hand, once I found out that all the religion stuff was bullshit, I honestly, I did not update nearly hard enough. I updated some, but I kept getting smacked in the face later with other things in my life that it turned out not to be true. So, so yeah. But at the same time, if it, okay, so if a Jehovah's Witness hmm. is talking to you, right? 
I know yeah. that they are saying things that I don't believe are true. Yeah. On a wide variety of very important topics. But I do trust them about oh, practical yeah, yeah. stuff, right? More, right. if anything, more than if they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. Right? They because do try just, to be scrupulously honest. Right. That's one of their principles. And mm-hmm. so I can work with that. So, like, it's not a matter of never trust you again, right? I wrote about, I don't know if you've studied this, the unbounded distrust principles, right? Like, the idea of there are people who will lie to your face in certain ways, but can't be trusted in other ways. And so, just because they don't follow your principles doesn't mean they can't be trusted. You just have to understand the ways in which they can and can't be trusted, right? A poker player is, in some sense, lying his ass off, but also, yeah. like, will make sure the pot is right. Right, but you can you can do that if you know someone enough to know where you can or can't trust them. But, for example, I just do not read the New York Times anymore because I've been lied to twice on important things where I knew I was being lied to. And I do not know any of the writers for the New York Times or the editors. I do not personally know them or know where I can trust them. So all I can say is, like, if I know you sometimes lie from, to me and if I cannot tell where the lies are and aren't, the only safe thing I can do is never trust you at all on anything. Right. But at the same time, like they're providing a lot of the important evidence in the world and you're disregarding it. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if they are or not. That's the thing, because I can't trust them. But like, I think they are in the sense that, yes, they are not so trustworthy and much less trustworthy than we were growing up believing they were. But, you know, again, I believe there are rules about this and that I know them well enough that I can profitably look at a New York Times article and I can know which parts of it I can be how confident in and which parts of it are like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Right? That, 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 that could be completely false. Yeah. And I mean, if you have that skill and knowledge and ability, that's great, but I do not. And the only safe move for me is just to ignore them entirely. And, I mean, there is, I mean, there is no safety. Any, there's no safety anywhere. But I do think that like it's reasonable to say I can't, you know, if you don't want to take the time to figure it out or if you've tried and it doesn't work, okay, you got to give. But there's, there's some sources that I trust quite a bit to not to always get things right, but to at least never intentionally lie to me. And I mean, you are one of them. Is there a like mainstream large source like that for you? No. Right. Unfortunately not. Yeah. Just to make sure we have, you know, we can keep moving through the simulacra levels. Uh, yes. Do we, do we want to try level three here? Let's hit level three. All right. Let's see. Let me see where you're at on level three. How would you describe it first? What I have heard is that level three is the part where you no longer even care about the word, what the words are literally saying. And you're just using them to say that I am part of the team that believes that, uh, let's say, guns are bad and global warming is happening. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you believe these things about guns or about global warming. It just means that you want to be seen as on the team that says those words, right? Right. And to be clear, there's also a team that says guns are good and global warming isn't happening. Or, right. or at least like isn't that serious a problem or isn't caused by, you know, whatever, right? I just want to be clear that like there isn't like – we're not saying this, this team is worse than the other team or anything. We're saying that like yeah. the team thing is bad. And so yeah. – or at least the team thing is what's going on here. And it has a purpose, right? You do want some amount of this – in the world in order to allow people to actually like form these teams and align and work together. It's, it's a thing humans need to do. Uh, but, but yeah, level three is roughly, I am saying things because of what they say, what, 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 be, what evidence that provides about who I am and what other characteristics I have and what expectations you can have about my behaviors. And yeah, I don't particularly care about the underlying value, truth value of the statements that I'm making when I'm on level three. 
I can be concerned about potential reactions from levels one and two based yeah. on the statement, but that's not why I'm saying it, right? Level three seems to be so insidiously awful because I I generally think that the team that says things like um, um, splitting people up into like gifted uh, classes and, and – um, advanced classes for kids that are really smart is a bad thing and we shouldn't do it. Like in general, I'm on that team with all the other things they say. And when they say those words to signal their affiliation, I go crazy because I think having gifted classes is one of the very few things that makes school bearable and possibly of value to some people. And they're getting rid of that simply because they want to signal that they are maximally not racist and maximally not like the other team. And this this is the place where you just go into insanity, not even for any benefit, just a signal that you're on a team that said something. So that is that is definitely on level three, but that is in particular this thing called the Hegelian dialectic. Can you give us more details on that? So the Hegelian dialectic is the idea that like there are two sides and they pri- and the way that they justify themselves is because the other side is bad, mm. not because they are good. And they make you make a choice between these two sides. And they trick you into thinking that these are your choices. Okay. And so, like, you get this idea of, like, you said it yourself, right? I'm on their side on other things, and I don't want to be on the other side, right? Whereas, if you think of the situation as there not being two sides here, as there being more than two sides, you said that that sides are a thing at all, right? Right. There are clearly more than two sides. I think the the four side model is much better than the two side model, for example, right? Like, well, over the last two years, I've completely disassociated myself from that side. Uh, but the problem still remains that when I say things like, uh, "I think having advanced glasses is really good, and we should have as many of those as possible," people will instantly think that I'm on the other side, and that I think all sorts of terrible things, and. Who this are is... these? Okay, well, again, which people, right? <laughs> well, if, that's fair. People I don't care about that much anyway. So if you think about it, right, if you think about it as there are groups one, two, three, four, right? And instead of trying to be two-dimensional, let's keep this simple and say it's on a, on a number line, right? There are one, two, three, mm-hmm. four. The people you're talking about, let's put them at number one without loss of generality, right? It's not a better or worse. You can invert the scale anytime you want. And like group two more or less believes the things you're saying. Like, while still voting with number one in most elections. Mm-hmm. And there are people in group one who think that anybody who's in group two is a horrible person. When they react to you by saying you're a horrible person, well, what they're trying to say is you can't express any opinions that are not in, they're not group one's opinions, that contradict group one's opinions on this, yes. on this very, not, not totalizing, but like very large set of topics. And you have to decide to what extent you're going to let the boogie win, right, on that when you happen to disagree. But yes, they are absolutely doing this thing where like they want you to signal group level three wise that you are a member of the number you know, the, 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 the one coalition in this in this metaphor. And if you say I'm a two, they say, oh, you're a four. And, I, and I'm trying to say, like, I'm not two or four at all. I just believe this one particular thing about this one particular statement, uh, this one particular issue. And no one believes that. And. I, I almost think that level three is even worse than level two. And I want to know what we can do to destroy level three entirely forever. I You, you can't do you, you can't do that. <laughs> but um, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think that tribalism is too too built into us. Yeah, uh, you, what you do is you try to minimal, you try to make it not central, but it's definitely going to stay a thing. 
And I get your intention of saying, like, no, I just believe this one thing. I'm not a one. But, like, they can't comprehend – the statement you're saying does not parse because they are so level threed in this situation that, like, you're denying you are part of any of the group, that you just have your own individual iconoclastic opinions. It's just, like, they can't imagine this, right? It doesn't parse. How how do we change this? Because I know people are better than this. They're some people are stuck on three, but it doesn't have to be this way. Well, I mean, it makes you quote Men in Black, right? A person is a smart, caring, thoughtful <laughs> individual, and people are stupid, uh, like or can be certainly, right? And like mm-hmm. you know, if you can get one of these people, if you get almost you know not everyone, but a large number of people on their own outside of their group. They can be very reasonable, but the group dynamic makes it very hard for any one of them to not keep doing this. That's a lot of it. You have to get them out of the dynamic. And I'm not, but we don't have the time to explore how to do that. And like, it's very perilous territory to talk about for reasons that, you know, you've raised, right? Like you get into all this trouble every time you point out something basic. Like when a kid is very good at mathematics, we should teach them more advanced mathematics, mm-hmm. right? And like, to be clear, I 100% endorse this statement. Feel free to at me if you disagree because you're just wrong. But, you know, there are people who legitimately don't believe this. There are people who go a step further and think that anyone who doesn't think, who, anyone who anyone who takes our position is a horrible person. You know, something has gone horribly wrong. I think that the way to combat this is pick your pick your platform. I mean, like the, the way to win that is not going to be in a whatever exchange on Twitter, right? Yeah. It does involve talking to individuals, not in front of a, in front of an audience. So I, I have a I happen to have a Twitter window open in one of my lists of just banks of links that I'm going to link to eventually, and it has the what's happening the the Twitter trending topics on the right, and it has both hashtag Trump is not well and hashtag Trump mental health. Even though <laughs> even though I I I never say the word Trump online if I can help it, right? Like I mm. I have chosen a very large number of politicalish topics where I'm just like this is not my hill to die on, right? This is not where I provide the value. This is a distraction. No matter what opinion I had on this, like legitimately no matter what it was, I would say nothing, right? And I make deliberate decisions sometimes like, okay, this thing is being the news now. I'm not going to say a word. I'm just like, nope, it's not worth it. We're here to fight for something that matters. We're not going to get distracted here. And I think that is a lot of practically what you have to do, right? Like I am am not going to be the person who kowtows so much to crazy people that you say, you, you don't say that you think that like, kids should learn as much as possible and that the learning should be tailored to their abilities and current knowledge because like that's kind of a crazy thing to disagree with. It would be good to be able to talk about these things with people to one of the things I would like is when we run into these situations, say something like you are on Simulacra level three, this is bad. This is why let's go back. I would like to reply to this just on level one. Like this is a one true statement. I think about one particular thing. I'm not trying to signal anything with this. Um, I can't do that because the term simulacra level one, simulacra level two, and simulacra level three, they don't mean anything to anybody. And you have to have this whole explainer thing. Why do we have these weird esoteric, why the simulacra word, why level one, two, three? Why isn't it easier to have names for this and explain this to people in a simple way so that you can quickly get across the idea and then discuss the merits of signaling versus talking about one individual objective thing? Well... So the first thing you notice is it's not the only problem, just to put a pin in that for the moment. Right. But yeah, it's a problem that people don't normally 
know the terminology, let alone have norms where it's common for you to point out what levels things are going on. The terminology was made to systematize and make obvious things that like people, you know, saw parts of, you know, grasping the elephant style, right? Otherwise. And you can absolutely say the thing that is easier to say with the terminology without the terminology. And people do reasonably often, right? I've heard the term decoupling to refer to, to for someone to say, I'm trying to talk on level one rather than level three. It, the, like the de- decoupling seems to work. We're like, this is not a identity group affiliation statement. This is just an individual objective statement. That's easier to get across to people than trying to say simulacra and explain all this stuff behind them. So interestingly though, however, decoupling pretty quickly became a level three battleground. Oh no, why humans? Why, why, obviously why, right? Are you in the group that doesn't like group signaling or in the group that likes group signaling? Make up your mind, right? Like this is not, like this is what you would predict. The model would say this is going to happen for first principles and enforce it immediately does. So like what happened basically was like people came up with this idea that they're they're high decouplers and there are low decouplers, right? As a Mm -hmm. a sort of probe to say, maybe we can explain it this way, right? Some people think, that like everything invokes all of the vibes and all of the possible indications and evidence it might provide. But no, actually set aside all those considerations. I'm purely making this object level, level one statement. I don't mean anything else by it, right? You know, the term, I don't mean anything by it, but, right? Is this attempt to do the same thing? This is not a general, you know, I'm not trying to say anything in general, you know, some of my best friends are, you know, all (laughs) these attempts become immediately ridiculed by level three people, right? Like, because it's exactly in opposition to what they're trying to do. And yes, I know you can, like, for extreme frustration, but, like, this is, it's not, the problem, the core problem is not that they don't know the terms, right? The terms would make it easier. The problem is that it is a hostile level three statement to point out that someone is on level three, except when it isn't, and that's worse, right? Like, from their perspective. Someone will say, like, like, you know, like someone said, like, you're just repeating the talking points. And that's uh, accusing someone of being on level three, right? Right. That is what that means, right? That means that means that you don't care about what you're saying. You're just trying to I mean, it can be a level two strategy to, like, just repeat the talking points until people believe it. Right. Like it's but people have ways of expressing these types of concerns. Right. This idea that, oh, you don't care if that's true. Right. You don't know mm-hmm. that. You're just spewing bile or like you're just, you know, you're just watching on to anything that, you know, like one of the one of the accusations that's been floating around, right, is, oh, you just latch on to anything that's anti-Trump, right? right. Or you just latch on to anything that's anti-liberal or pro-Trump, right? Same way, mm-hmm. right? And like these accusations are both frequently true, obviously. There are lots and lots of people who are in fact doing A and other people who are in fact doing B. So to think of this on a level two level, do you think this would have caught on better if a term other than simulacra was used? And I know this like dates back to, I don't know, 70s or something where someone wrote the initial text. But man, I think it's a poor choice of words if you want to actually discuss this with a lot of common people. They didn't. They wanted to discuss it with philosophers. Correct. God damn it. Well, so, they were fr- they were continental philosophers. 
it's not clear to me if a continental philosopher wants people reading their book to understand it, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't know which direction this incentive goes. I, I legitimately don't know. I think they, they want a very narrow group of specific people to be able to understand it. But I think, like, the public, they're like, no, that's just bad, right? Like, but I, I could be wrong. I, I, just, I, I can't. I can't even, like, with the original book, like, the whole way through, right? But mm. I will say that, like, the current modern, like, rationalist-style, like, simulacra concept, right? It's the invention of, like, a handful of people who are not particularly influential in general or certainly, you know, weren't at the time. And things that get proposed by people like that have a catch-on rate of very low beyond the communities they're in, right? Like, it, it's it caught on remarkably well in the sense that, like, you asked me on this podcast to talk about it. I would say that there are thousands to tens of thousands of people who like will at least sometimes use these tools. Yeah. And that's like way better than average, right? In some important sense. It's a power law, but like it's it's doing really well. So the question is like, could could we then like find a way to find a better word that abstracts it to like get it adopted even more? And I think that you know, people have tried, but what I'm explaining is like there have been many attempts to inject a much smaller amount of this information into common practice because the principle you only get about five you only get five words right yeah this idea that you know the simulacra concept like we're literally going to run out of time right before right, we right. get to level four properly unless we decide to go long and even if you get long like it's really complicated right like a lot of people who've struggled with this like still don't really get four i think and like i'm not even sure how well i get the real four right in some important i mean Honestly, wouldn't just the term truth level be fine? Like, are you in the objective truth <laughs> level or the group truth level or the thing? No, because the, the problem with truth level is that now it's just pejorative. But the obvious, mm. the obvious problem, right? Like, right. you're just saying, I am truth and you are not truth. Right? And then now, right. like, everybody does stop listening to you, right? Like, this is, this is, that does not work. It's an important thing when discussing this, right? To, like, not to go in with the attitude that, like, Anybody who touches anything but level one is some horrible person or that these levels are like just vicious foes of the humanities, right? Of, yeah. of all of life, right? Like, yeah, we all have our preference for one, but it, it's not, you know, to, you want to be Jesus or the Buddha and be operating on all four, right? Like that's the ultimate goal. I, I just wanted to re-cement our grasp of the levels. Like, I like the, the example of um, uh, advanced classes for, for gifted kids. Like, so... Level one of that would be advanced classes um, allows students who are gifted in subjects to maximally use their time and learn more about that subject. That sounds right. like or, a good... Or conversely, you know, I don't believe it's true. I believe it's false. But you could make a level one argument against those classes, right? If you wanted to, you could say, like, by taking those students out of the other class, the other class becomes much worse than those students suffer. I think that's also a level one statement for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying, like, it's, I, yeah. I just always want to be clear that like it's not it's never you are the one who's always truthful and right in level one, and everyone else is doing these horrible things, right? It's always like no, absolutely. I appreciate you reinforcing that. That's all. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a great uh, habit yeah. to reinforce that. So like, yeah. uh, level two then is another true statement, but it's it's used in a way to, to evoke a certain response. So like, uh, so like a level two version of that could be having advanced classes will leave some kids, you know, without the benefit of having that advanced student in the room, you know, to either help them learn or whatever. Um, and the other side of that being that, you know, not having them would also leave some potential on the table or, you know, uncollected for those gifted students. 
Now, I do want to be clear that, like, you know, I, you can make true level two statements for both sides, obviously. You can also make false level two statements for both sides. Right. Uh, right. I don't want, I don't want you to, like, I don't want to go too far. Right? I, I was pointing out that level two statements don't have to be false, but they often are false. Right. Like, right. I'm just like, let's not, let's not go too far. Right? No, no that, that's, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I think both of those are true, though. A level two statement would be like, if you know somebody really loves chocolate milk and you want there to be advanced placement courses, you say, you know, in countries with more advanced placement courses, there's much more chocolate milk available for the general population. Because that might be true, that might not be true, but it doesn't matter. You're saying that so that the other person will support you, not because it's true. Yes, and at worst, they learned an important lesson about correlation and causation. So there you go. So then level three is is saying, I'm trying to be somewhat somewhere between diplomatic and funny here. Like, uh, you're an idiot if you think that not teaching kids, you know, to learn as much as they can is, is a good idea or is a bad idea. Conversely, you're an idiot if you think that uh, segregating kids by intelligence is a good idea or a bad idea or whatever, right? Um, I guess they, they don't have to start with the you're an idiot, but that seems to always be kind of the implication of level three for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean ad hominem pure idiot like Id- idiot is an interesting word right because like it's not the word that anyone uses when they're really going at you these days and there's a reason for that right. because like there's plenty of idiots in any large group right like now if they're going after you they use the word like racist well yeah but sure. like because like also like it's okay to be an idiot right yeah. it's an important sense like you know yeah no one thinks idiots are bad people because they're idiots right like right <laughs> Like, but no one, no one idiot. wants to be an idiot. No, it's it, it, right. it, it, it's you can accuse someone to be an idiot to be rude to them or try to like lower their status or like you know it's win an argument or whatever. But yeah. ultimately, like again, like you know, intelligence is not merit, right? Like an idiot is a pejorative term, and like you know, ideally, no one would even use it, right? In some sense, right? Like it's like to admit that these people who are saying you shouldn't use bad words kind of have a point in some cases, even when they're not particularly harping on the word in question. It's just a matter of you can insult someone's moral virtue or like accuse them of being on the wrong team, and that is in many important ways distinct from like insulting their capabilities. That that's that's a good point. I, I before yeah. before we leave this this trail of thought, I'm I'm trying to think of the level four version of this kind of argument. Like, because to me, level four is completely decoupled from anything about the truth, and it, I mean it's it's as decoupled from the truth as level two is from one. Uh, so it, it's it's that far away from level three as as level two is from one. So I guess level four is like I don't even care which group I'm in or you know whether or not this correlates to reality whatsoever. I just want this to be popular thing that I'm saying is is that, what is the 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 summary of level four? So there is no very easy summary of level four, which is <laughs> annoying. Uh, partly because level four is kind of beyond like symbolic meanings of things. Like, level four is beyond the idea that words have meaning, right? Like, level four kind of denies words have meaning. So trying to describe it specifically in words gets tricky. Uh, you try to, like, work your way around it to a large extent. Uh, like, some simplified versions are, like, level four is vibing to a large extent. Level four is, like, trying to get others to vibe even more than it is vibing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it is, like, like one way to think about it is that, like, level four is kind of next token prediction, <laughs> in some important sense, right? Where the, where the where the predictor doesn't doesn't have beliefs, doesn't care about the truth. It's just trying to say the next. Doesn't thing. even know what the words mean. Right. Right. I and like, like that. words to a large extent 
just have their associations and vibes, right? Like think about like when Donald Trump like keeps like randomly inserting words where they grammatically and like factually don't really belong because they sort of like build the right associations and feelings and structures like in your brain, like kind of in this background involuntary sense, right? It's a way of stalking. It's a way of talking. I like the example there because what I wanted to avoid was doing the the really great example that you used on the Clear Thinking podcast, which was, you know, this little four statement pulled well with focus groups. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I think that was I think that's that's a great distillation of it. But I wanted to have at least something original on, on our show. Right. Um, I, I try I, I try to like approach it with diff, a number of different angles, but sort of this idea of like you know level four, like yeah, you want people to associate your level three the level three things that. That, conf- that, that embody your team, you want those things to then have like planted good associations and the level of things that the other team is saying to like, plant bad associations with them, for example, right? Like, oh, okay. See, I didn't, I could not understand the difference between three and four because three is just you're saying whatever to to signal that you're on a side. Like the literal words you say about uh, AP classes don't matter. You're just saying whatever side the team that you'd like says in order to associate right. with that team. Right. Or, but, or you might, right. Or level four, you might want to try and like incept like that your team is now going to advocate for things you want your team to, to advocate for or their team to advocate for things they're going to advocate by stepping outside the system and like trying to direct them in various ways. But like, but that's like almost, that's, that's overestimating the amount of planning going on here, right? Like the important thing to understand about level four is that when you're operating on level four, you lose your attachment to ground truth and your ability to actually like properly make plans and reason, right? You are no longer like this rational individual in some sense. Well, I think I think the same applies to level three for the most part, but level four now seems a lot more like just Fnords, where you just say like the words that are associated with your team and say things like freedom and liberty and joy or whatever. And then, you know, you say the things associated with the other side and like blood and bur- murder and stuff. But it doesn't like, have to be teams, right? You can also do this about concepts that you like and dislike or individuals that you like and dislike. Or plans mm-hmm. that you like and dislike. It doesn't have anything. It doesn't have anything to do with level three. Like that's that's just a special case, right? In some sense, right? Like this is why literally everything is called racist or transphobic now, right? If you just don't like it, you try to put it next to those words to get bad associations with them. That's kind of what I was going to suggest. I was going to say I think Godwin's law is is level four. Yeah, where you know at the at the point where you're saying, hey, you know, Hitler, you know, was also vegetarian. Like, <laughs> right? You're yeah. trying. You're, you, whether, whether or not that's even true, you're just trying to draw an association between, between your interlocutor and Hitler, um, which, which people mean, will vibe poorly with, right? There's a lot of level four going on in such statements, right? Because, like, again, you're trying to draw – you're trying to draw associations. You're trying to, like, vibe things into – like, so they're considered in – like, regrouped into different categories because then those categories have implications that have their own associations. And then you can use the you – know, but, like, keep in mind that a lot of this is, like – very much like done one word or once or at least one step at a time and like yeah. kind of without a strate- particularly strategic plan right right like just sometimes literally saying things that are flat out on their face false if you know anything about the world but it happens to contain words that have positive association with things that you like yeah and this can like the dynamics of this kind of behavior getting reward right like can then cause like spirals of weirdness to happen <laughs> In various yeah. ways. I, I remember just recently seeing a thing about college students, a large majority of which supported the statement, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, until someone showed them a map and the river and the sea and what that meant. And they were like, oh, 
I had no idea what the Middle East looked like. Uh, more than two thirds of them were like, I'm not sure how I feel about the statement anymore. <laughs> like, because people were just associating the word Palestine and the word freedom. And that's all that slogan meant. It was like, yay, I'm on this side. I don't know anything about the real world. Well, that's all That's all that someone was telling them that they meant, right? Like, that's all that right. they knew about that it meant. It means something. Obviously, it actually, like, means something specific, right? And Yes, but yeah. they don't know what it is. They, they literally don't know the meaning behind the words. They, it's, they're just repeating the words. Yeah, and I think that's, like, one important thing is to then not be fooled into thinking that people who are chanting level three words mean the level one thing that they're chanting, right? Right. And this, obviously throughout history, we have many cases of people who have done this and then it has caused the level one thing to, to occur, right? Like, mm-hmm. And so you, you do have to worry about that if you don't like the level one thing. Uh, but you don't want to assume that everybody who says that slogan like wants that to happen because the majority of them don't. And if they knew what the slogan meant, they'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa that's not what I meant. I meant something else. Yeah. I, maybe it's the you only have five words thing where you just use the five words to try to associate good things with your side and everything else doesn't matter. Well, the five words thing is like a thing about – I view it as a thing about human cognition and the way that we process information and retain information and just that our brains are like just like not very good in, at remembering things and like inha- inhaling complexity – and more than that, like just most of the time, we're not paying that much attention to any given thing. Like I can take away far more than five words, obviously, from a post or whatever. Yeah. But most people mostly can't, right? Or, uh, in or, effect. They, or they, they won't put in the effort on any given right. occasion. I, by, mostly, by mostly can't and mostly won't, I meant on any given – in any given situation, they mostly won't, right? Like they mostly have – they mostly are not devoting the resources necessary for that to happen. Nothing you do will cause them to do that. Unless you are like doing something completely extraordinary in terms of what you're conveying to them, like occasionally, yeah, you you can trigger it in in the extreme, but it's really hard. Well, shit, I think that's <laughs> I think that's everything about Simulacra, and I'm I'm glad I was able to clear up the difference between three and four for me. I still, do you think four is? It can't be that prevalent, right? It just seems like such a bizarre, broken way for things to be that it can't last very long. So four is ever present in the sense that like four works at the thing that four is trying to do. And like, if you don't pay attention to four, people who are paying attention to four will be able to be predatory upon you and sculpt the social situation to their benefit. So you can't just ignore it, right? Like it's the goal of simulacra is not don't see the other levels. It's see the other levels and then react consciously and strategically but also choose your words and actions based on that, right? Like I spend, as part of my writing, a significant amount of time trying to actually operate in a like level four, you know, but friendly way, or at least avoid operating negatively, right? Like look out for, you know, a great example is people in, well, first of all, eat, like effective accelerationism, right? Hmm. Are a level four movement, right? They are all vibe. They are all... Like, level bad associations on anyone who disagrees with us. Level good associations on everything of us. Claim that all the benefits accrue to all the things that we like all the time. Everything is extreme. Right. Like, as I think about level four, like, there is no limit, right? Like, everyone is either, like, you're completely bipolar, right? Like, consciously bipolar, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is great or terrible at all times. 
Because again, like you're trying to push the vibe in a given direction. So like you don't really care if the statements you're making are accurate, right? You're just trying to push in a direction. Right. So, Every single good yeah. thing that's ever happened due to technology is basically e uh, e ac people together. Right. Like, and like they don't really expect like, like if they, if you ask if you talk to them on reflection and they were like being reflective and honest, they'd be like, Well, I don't actually believe that, but I believe it is so much in that direction from what ordinary people believe that if I thought if I keep saying it often enough and people move in that direction, they'll be they'll be more accurate, right? Like yeah. if they were being their best selves and like thinking about like why they might be doing it. And like, you know, they th- like they try to think to themselves that they're actually on level one or two in that sense, right? Like, but and or even level three. To me, like it's you know, very clearly like this is yeah, it's incredibly obnoxious, like the whole thing of like when people are operating on four, especially blatantly on four. But like I would say that our society has moved much more so towards four over time. <laughs> It does seem like, especially like the really hardcore radical wings of things, they're like everything that's ever good that's happened in society is because of our movement that was hasn't existed for more than 10 years. And yet somehow we are taking full credit for all the progress of humanity over the past 100 years. There is certainly some of that. Uh, but I would say, you know, it's not that level four can't, like level four is very good at winning political fights, right? At, at influencing the directions of social interactions, like. It seems like a damning indictment of political stuff if level four is so effective. I mean, it is what it is. Like you have to fight it pretty consciously if you don't want it to, if you don't want that to happen. But yeah. I mean, the danger of level four is that obviously like, you know, it has problems with reality, right? It has problems with physical ground truth. It doesn't know how to interact with them, right? So you get this thing that is very good at like making the vibes go their way and getting like social world to to go their way. And it's going to often make them very successful. But if they don't also have level one, right? And level four loses access to level one. So if you're like playing on level four too much, you just like it vanishes for you. And then like level zero, meaning reality, smacks you in the face, right? right? And then, you know, a society that worries too much about level, a society that worries too much about level four will get smacked in the face by physical reality. Like it used to be, that like you went, you had your city, right? You had your nice place, and then you started playing more and more politics and doing more and more level three and level four stuff, and you got more and more into your own heads, and then like a bunch of pe- a bunch of like riders on horseback who were very very level one, like drove in and then like sacked your city because you got to do- you were doing too much of that, and then yeah. this cycle continued over and over again, and like you know we are not so vulnerable to people on horseback right now for various reasons. But that is the fate, right, of a civilization that lets itself, like, mode collapse into too much for, right? It just starts to physically fall apart. Well, that's, that's kind of depressing. Yeah, although the, the, the hope is that people will see, people see the physical falling apart, right? And then they snap back, right? So, like, you can advocate all you want, right, for some crazy policy. But then if people can notice it's really, really bad and it starts to impact their lives... They often are go like, whoa, 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 that's insane. And like, we see it in Argentina, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, suddenly everybody's willing to elect this seemingly completely crazy guy with the completely insane hair. <laughs> and a superhero costume. I did win some some manifold mana by betting he would not get a haircut, which was very <laughs> amusing. Uh, because it was funny and it just seemed like obviously overpriced. So I was like, sure, I'll sell some of that. But, uh, but the idea is, you know, he has ground truth on his side, right? In context of Argentina, it's just obviously true that you need to cut spending, 
cut regulation, dismantle, you know, various barriers to private enterprise and, you know, just suck it up. And he just told the truth to everybody, like his truth, right? Like whether or not you believe it's fully accurate, but like clearly directionally, he was just correct. And he clearly believes what he's saying. And the Argentinians voted for him because things were a disaster. They would never vote for him if, if Argentina wasn't physically falling apart. Well, I would like to get to a point where we can fight against these things without being in an art state of an Argentinian disaster first. Yeah, I don't think you need to be Argentina, right? I think that Americans have much higher expectations for okay. physical not falling apartness and like general comfort and safety and, you know, other such things. And they notice when things are not going the way that they wanted to in various ways. And, you know, the problem is that, you know, when they notice that, is there somebody who is telling them, truth. But there's a shocking amount of people that still live in California, which I <laughs> it doesn't seem like it should happen. And yet there they still are. Well, so California has many advantages, right? Including all those other people, but yeah. also very nice weather and, you know, mm -hmm. a bunch of pre-existing stuff. And like, it is not at all crazy to live in California, right? If, if you're getting these other benefits, like, yes, if these people all coordinated to move out of California to, you know, Washington or whatever, it yeah. would probably be good until they turned Washington into California. <laughs> yeah. But right. yeah, I, I try, man. I try, right? Yeah. You are doing the Lord's work. I think you succeed a lot. I, you know, that, that seems like a point worth reemphasizing. You know, we talk, talked about it at the beginning, but uh, you're writing some of the most thorough and thoughtful stuff out there. Um, it's true. Yeah, you've you've made a huge amount of of difference in spreading these ideas. I think the reason I know about them is because you wrote about them, and I think that's the case for a lot of less wrong and related communities. I think I'm definitely I'm definitely getting my my word out in like those close knit communities to some extent. But you know, it's it is what it is. And then uh, I, you're when I, from like me is counting on those people to then like spread the word forever, right? If it's something that deserves to spread forever. Yeah. Very briefly, I guess I was thinking of like. Uh a few election cycles ago, I think it was Newt Gingrich when he was campaigning in Florida, I talked about like moon base, you know, in the next four years or something, because Florida is big on space travel. You know, that, that seemed like a purely level four statement, right? No, 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 no. I happen to know that, that you're wrong about the particular, particular one. Okay. Yeah. Newt, Gingrich about up, then. Newt Gingrich happens to be very, very pro space. He is a total space nerd. Like Newt Gingrich is like at heart, he's a historian, right? He is this like very much intellectual person who happened to then be thrust into this weird political position. Like he talks really weird for a politician, right? In all these different ways. Like, like they don't seem like they match, like they don't vibe properly. And that's because like, he's some fundamentally kind of this something else. And this is one of those things. He really, really believes that stuff, right? Like whatever else you think of Newt Gingrich, he wants a base on the moon. He does. <laughs> I, I get, I mean, I, I can believe that, but I, I think I can also believe that he, might in his heart of hearts think that there's no way that would ever be possible, but he's saying this because he knows people will like it. I mean, the in four years part is almost certainly, you know, him just hyping because we all know it's not going to be a moon base in four years. Right. But like, it yeah, takes, no, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's worth digging too much into, but no, I, I, that, but, that's important context. I appreciate yeah. you correcting me on that. Yeah, I, mean, I bet we could have, I mean, I bet we could get a moon base if we wanted to spend 2% of GDP like they spent on Apollo. I don't <laughs> yeah. think we're willing to do that. We have other priorities. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. If we have two percent of GDP to allocate, I I have a, a very short list of things I'd put ahead of, or I have a a very important short list I'd rather hit first. Yes, I but could... I also I also would do it. So 
Yeah. <laughs> I did not realize that Apollo was 2% of GDP. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. No, that was Apollo was super expensive. Like, uh, if you listen to the interview of Jeff Bezos, uh, with Flex Friedman, he's talking about it. And it's just like, you put it, we went to the moon before we were supposed to. Yeah. So, GDP, like, like not 2% of the government budget, but literally 2% of the nation's GDP? You heard me. Holy Jesus. Okay. That's awesome. W- to be clear, worth it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, Zvi, did you have anything you wanted to leave us with before we wrapped up here? Uh, No, I think that covers that covers a bunch of stuff pretty well. It was a fun talk, and uh, I hope I hope people on the outside get uh, good use out of it. Where can people find your stuff? Um, Where's a good place if they want to follow your things? So thatsvi.substack.com is the best place to find it. You can also find that on Less Wrong, and I have, you know, that's V is my Twitter handle as well, which will link you to my posts when they come up generally. Uh, and you can go from there. All those links will be in the show notes too. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like since it's on Substack, people can actually support you directly on this V.substack if uh, that's a thing they care to do. Yes. Subscribing there. I also have a Patreon under my name if you want to do that. Like same title, same name uh, for people who want to donate, you know, a different amount more or less than that. But Again, I yeah, as we discussed earlier on, I don't pay well anything. It, I want th- I want the word to get out. You know, if you want to reward that type of behavior, you can subscribe with pay if you want. That's all. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks. I encourage everyone to take a look at that, especially you know if you have the capacity. Uh, you know, it's it's the way to keep these things going. So yeah. Um, yep. All right. Well, Z, thanks again, man. This was this was awesome. This was a great conversation. It was really a pleasure talking to you. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Um. I had to look up because I've heard the phrase more DACA uh, when we were talking about oh, V, but yeah. it's a, a Warhammer 40K reference. Yes. DACA yes, is, is the automatopoeia for the sound of a uh, fully automatic weapon. And uh, the orcs are known for their love of firearms. Uh, and the belief is that the faster the gunfire, the better it is. So the phrase suggests <laughs> yes. increasing the rate of bullet discharge improves the player's chances in combat situations. <laughs> and uh, and I, it's a great phrase. I like it for that reason. <laughs> it is, yeah. I love the works. They're just a super fun race, and it sticks in your head once once you hear that. Yeah. Did uh, is orcs and Warhammer 40k spelled with a K? It is. Okay, so got that right. I was I was surprised. I guess that's how you get around copyright. I, don't know. I can't I don't believe I get you around copyright. But I don't think the Tolkien estate has a copyright on the word orcs. That's uh, it seems older. Every story has the orc race. Yeah, I mean, like elves and dwarves and fairies all existed pre him. That's that's where he got the terms from. And I wonder if halflings did too. I mean, well, I guess they were kind of dwarf, but maybe he did invent hobbits. I don't know. I do believe hobbits were. Yeah, and that's why they used like halfling or some other made up term because hobbits were a word that he invented. And like, I guess the concept isn't completely new but uh the word is so that's good enough yeah i mean certainly you can't use hobbit again but i you know maybe you need to couch your whatever small human in other terms small barefooted humans yeah but since they're hard to find because they dig in holes and they're notoriously sneaky uh let's you want to search instead for base structures yes let's search for base structures oh um welcome to the second half of our show yes (laughs) all right well so yeah less wrong posts um we have this is the ones I thought we were going to do last episode, so I was already primed for these. Oh, that's right. And I liked that this searching for base structure is the first one here, and this this is kind of like the all right, folks, let me bring this all home for you post. Mm-hmm. And 
he starts off saying that we've seen that knowledge implies mutual information between a mind and its environment. And we've seen that this mutual information is negentropy in a very physical sense. If you know where molecules are and how fast they're moving, you can turn heat in, or you, uh, you can turn heat into work via Maxwell's demon slash a Zillard engine. And I put parenthetically, have we though? <laughs> have we shown that? All right, I'll take your word for it. But the rest we have. Depends uh, on how much math you know. Yeah, I, uh, I liked the conversation in the Discord around this post, or around rather the, the previous post. Um, mm. But we have which we, part of the conversation? Uh, there was just, I think it was comments about like, you know, why make it so need, like seemingly needlessly obtuse? And other people are like, well, it's not necessarily obtuse. And I've heard of Maxwell's demon before, and this kind of makes sense. And d- discussion of, around whether or not it was more technical than it needed to be or as technical as it needed to be. Yeah. But that said, we definitely did cover, you know, and I do believe the first part, we've seen that knowledge implies mutual information, mutual information between a mind and its environment. Yes. So that, I mean, that requires work. Yeah. That's knowledge. I mean, it, Mm. and, and I like, you know, just the idea of like me forming a true belief without interacting with the external world is like, you know, and I I think the analogy (gasps) for me doesn't quite land, but it, but it's not entirely dissimilar to a glass of ice water or a glass of water just suddenly freezing. Right. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, I can't just sit there with my eyes closed and draw a perfect map of reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. We, I also thought this was the main point of the post and maybe the, the entire sequence somewhat that, uh, if you got at time zero, no mutual information within an environment and at time one, 10 bits of mutual information, then somewhere in between you encountered evidence. Yeah, under the de- under the def- Bayesian definition of evidence, because all Bayesian evidence is mutual information, and all mutual in- information is Bayesian evidence. There are just different ways of looking at it. Right. Yeah. Yes, you process this information in a Bayesian way, and some level, uh, even if it's really inefficient, at some point the mind moved in harmony with Bayes for a little while because uh, it made mutual information with its uh, with this the subsystem, its environment. Or the other option being that you violated the second law of thermodynamics. Right. Yeah. You said that this this is maybe the point of the whole sequence. I mean, the sequence is actually still humans used uh, humans guide to words or language or whatever. Um, mm. This seems more encompassing than just that. Uh, yeah. That if you have discovered new information, if you are entangled with your environment in some way, that information was processed using Bayes theorem. That's just how it is described to mutually entangled information yeah i was in a discussion once with somebody and i think they were just arguing in bad faith because they didn't like rationalists or something but they seemed to draw contention with like the whole bayesian framework because priors are arbitrary Hmm. and they they were like well that that just you know throws out the whole thing and i was like well that can't actually be true like sure my priors could be totally arbitrary but that, that doesn't ruin the system you know, like, yeah. and I wish I thought of these examples, but I know they wouldn't have done anything because, again, I don't believe this person at the time I was uh, more naive and thought everyone argued in good faith. Not everybody, but I didn't spot this person as a bad faith arguer. But uh, I like cats a lot. You know, some people uh, I, I've heard I've heard legends of like the occasional stray kitten, you know, finding its way into living, you know, in your engine compartment un- under the hood of your car. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do I ever check my hood before I start my car? No. And it's not because I don't love cats, because I think the odds are infinitesimally small. Right. It'd right? be a ridiculous use of your time. Right. And I mean, there are a million things like that I could be looking for that I don't. The reason for that is, um, you know, I haven't encountered evidence for it yet. If I suddenly met three people who had had that happen in the last six months or something, I'd check my car every time. I'd probably just leave the hood yeah. up, you know, when I got out of the car. <laughs> right. So yeah, all, all that to say is that 
priors, where, where, wherever they come from, they update based on new evidence. Like it, the, the point of this post and end of just this whole enterprise of rationality is that your priors aren't right, right? Where, wherever they come from, your, your initial starting prior probability isn't correct just by uh just just because the odds of that being depending on the claim you know if it's if it's a coin toss maybe right but if it's if it's a real claim about reality no it's it's convoluted and tied up with lots of stuff and it's it it needs lots of actual work to get to the bottom of it so um yeah yeah what i liked about this post too is he he says that uh in fact any part of the cognitive process that contributes usefully to truth finding must have at least a little bayesian structure must harmonize with bayes at some point or another must partially conform with the Bayesian flow, however noisily, despite many disguising bells and whistles, even if, the, even if this Bayes structure is only apparent in the context of surrounding processes, or it couldn't even help. What he's saying is that there's no other way to get to the truth. Mm-hmm. Like there, if, there, if you have other stuff that's, that's doing it, it's not helping if it's not at least tied to this, this Bayesian workflow. Yeah. Th- this is a, a very interesting claim, and it seems to tie things a lot together for him like when he discovered this it was a major revelation he he goes on to say that like searching for the hidden base structure is this huge difficult omnipresent quest like searching for the holy grail it's a difficult quest for each facet of cognition but the grail always turns out to be the same and uh later on says it's not so easy to just tell people where you're going when you're going somewhere like that to say all cognitive work ultimately uh, all no knowing of things of gathering knowledge is Bayesian in its nature. And there's this, uh, the structure that you can always find at the root of it. That seems like a big claim, right? I mean, it does until you just think about, well, I, so I, he brought, he brought up that last bit that he said after a while, he says, it's not so easy just to, to tell people where you're going. Cause that was, that was response to the feedback of saying, look, Hey, why don't you just, you know, tell us where this is going to end up. Why, why all these long posts? Mm-hmm. And it's because and it's like a, it's you like, wouldn't believe me kind of thing. Yeah, it's because I'm going to make a wildly sound, uh, wild sounding claim that unless I walk you there, will sound crazy. I think it makes sense. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, it like looking at how philosophers debate epistemology and what it means to know something or whatever. You know, it, it was all about you know what is knowledge and arguing about the definition of what knowledge is. And there's all kinds of fun, silly examples that if you just toss out like the magic word knowledge and you start subbing that in with a Bayesian framework suddenly makes the problem just completely go away. Mm. If I, I believe that you have a Porsche because I saw you pull one into your garage. Well, you know, it, it was actually your parents, uh, but you actually do own a Porsche, but it's in the backyard covered in a tarp. So do I know <laughs> that you have a Porsche? Like, is it that a true justified belief? It's like, well, no, forget it. Like, let's look at the thing I was thinking about the car you were driving. Do you own that? No. Like, mm-hmm. and, and how do I know that? Cause I asked, you know, what was my evidence? I saw you driving it. Like all, all of these things actually just turn into kind of like the kinds of rebuttals that I think would maybe get you frowned looks in a philosophy class. If you didn't have a cool teacher. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I guess I, I don't because I've always thought philosophy and philosophers are uh, kind of up at their own assholes about things and are safely ignored. So, I mean, um, the cool ones, I think, are are fun and engaging. You know, Dan Dennett is somebody I can tell influences Yudkowsky quite a bit. Um, it's true. But is he a philosopher? I think that's his real job title at Tufts. Ah, he's too smart to be a philosopher. <laughs> sure looks like one. He looks like the, the, the platonic <laughs> ideal of a philosopher. Right. He's got the beard and everything. Exactly. Yeah, I guess. The the things that he says that like 
the the seeing through all the surface cognitive process and every single time always finding the base structure underneath that like once you are aware of that and you can always see it it's like having a base site the whole thing feels very it feels like one of those grand revelations that somebody is given and that changes their their life outlook now and it also feels like he's trying to get that through to us uh this feeling of the grand revelation I like that idea because I like grand revelations and um, I think it would be neat to have a sort of foundational mythological sort of idea like this, a, a mysticism about like, look, this is the one true thing that underlies all cognition and it always seems to work. And it, because it, this is how knowledge is actually created or slash discovered, but it doesn't stick for me it it doesn't feel very mystical it doesn't even feel like it, it it doesn't feel that revelatory to me it's not like block time or the anthropic shadow or something things that are like actually kind of like whoa I, I don't know if i'm just not getting it fully enough because that's what it feels like maybe you've been immersed in it too long for it to feel revolutionary like the the claim here is like hey i have the secret that is actually the truth to understanding to gaining knowledge about the world in any context, in any universe. Phrasing it that way, it sounds like a grand claim that does sound, you know, the kind of thing that should be at the bottom of the secret Bayesian conspiracy. But uh, he mentions the the secret of the Bayesian conspiracy in this post. Um, Yeah. But other subjects certainly seem more counterintuitive or more, um, I get what you mean, like uh, maybe more mystical or something. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of like, where does knowledge come from? I mean, that, that, that goes back to... As soon as our, you know, dumber ancestors could ask that question, people have been been tossing that around, right? So if, if it's like, hey, I've got the answer, that is kind of a big deal. But maybe it's because yeah. you understand the answer that it seems un- not that it, that it's like now boringly mundane, and uh, <laughs> you know doesn't doesn't seem all that exciting anymore. I don't even know if I really understand the answer that well, though, because it seems like it should be more exciting if I did understand it. Like maybe I'm just um. I'm not wowed because I don't get it. It doesn't feel like there's this fundamental nature to reality about um, Bayesian equations and Bayesian structures that explains how all knowledge is is gathered. I think his claim is that there is, though. Yeah, yeah, that that is his claim, but I don't quite have that. I don't want to say hitting it like on an emotional, like deep level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me be clear. I only understand it intellectually. Like I, I, you know, only to the extent that I can kind of frame it in such a grand way do I get it at all on an emotional level. Um, I think that at the first post of less wrong was, hey, I I know the grand unifying thesis behind how behind how knowledge works. All knowledge, all all across across all time and and every universe works this way. You know, it'd come off like you know some crackpot, right? Right. Maybe that's just kind of the only framing we need to see that that this is actually a cool insight, but it just some of the the punch is lost because you know we were we were walked there rather than hit in the face with it. Yeah, I suppose. Maybe. Probably. Well, want to move on to conditional independence and naive bays? Excellent. Let's do it. All right. This goes back to the old example uh, about X and Y. Uh, one of the things we know is that they share mutual information and that they're both either even or odd. And he posits, what about a variable Z, where uh, Z is also either even or odd? So that uh, knowing that X is even tells us that Z is even. And knowing that Z is even even tells us that Y is even. Uh, but this is the same information that X would tell us about Y. So we double counted some of our knowledge. 
we didn't get necessarily any new knowledge by introducing Z into this equation. It didn't reduce our entropy through shared mutual information because that mutual information was already shared between X and Y. Does that part make sense? Uh, yes. And then he goes on to posit, uh, what if there was a whole net of conditional variables, like five things maybe that things are like uses language or wears clothes or has fingernails or has blood or is vulnerable to hemlock. And those are all conditionally independent in that one won't tell you that much about the other. Like you can both be immune to hemlock and not have blood if you're a, a rock. Or uh, you can both not wear clothes and use language if you are a nudist. But we can get useful information by pretending that there is a sixth variable that is somehow related to all these. Because uh, the probability of one of those will increase the, the probability of that central one. I think I see where this is going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he says, yeah, you can pretend that it's true and simplify the living daylights out of your calculations instead of separately tracking the influence of clothedness on speech, on num finger, number of fingers. We can use all that information just to keep track of the probability that this thingy is human and then use our beliefs about the central class of is this thingy human to predict things that we haven't seen, like the vulnerability to hemlock. And that is very similar to that node central node star pattern of uh, neural nets that we were talking about several months ago now i think yeah you you remember that thing right yep it's even in this post if people aren't uh, reading along yeah he draws I, that I, picture again i like his writing in this i mean he's getting into like all this math business then uh but you ask what does this have to do with the nature of words and their hidden bayesian structure i am just so unspeakably glad that you asked that question because i was planning to tell you whether you liked it or not <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so he says we can use any observations about the independent nodes to uh, act as evidence for some central class variable and then use our probability of that central one to make predictions about the unobserved nodes. And he says that uh, if an AI algorithm works, it will turn out to have Bayesian structure too, using the same kind of thing. It may even be exactly equivalent to an algorithm of the sort called Bayesian, even if it doesn't look Bayesian on the surface. And yeah, ends that that uh, ends it by saying uh, someday the Bayesians are going to start attaching understandable meanings to the learned network weights, which I just pulled out because we recently I don't know if we did it on this podcast or on the Mind Killer, but uh, had the the news that they are in fact trying to map out what the various weights in the LLMs are uh, pointing to when uh, when they go through their thinking process. This was like where they're using GPT three, I think, to help make gpt2 more scrutable yes uh, okay yeah is that the same thing like knowing is knowing which nodes light up and how you know how the thought process works is that the same thing as giving us like an actual understanding of what you know if anything bayesian is happening in there well i guess yes actually it would huh because you're actually seeing what lights up and how heavily yeah uh, that that is the weights that they are speaking of yeah okay no, that that makes sense I mean, when I ask, you know, like we opened, I asked ChatGPT about, you know, what does more DACA mean? Hmm. You know, it. I think it might have done a Google search, but you know, if it hadn't, it would look up, you know, it would try to remember, oh, I've heard the word DACA before. You know, oh, more DACA. Okay, that's in the context. Definitely. Okay, why am I 40K? Like, it, it, does, it does it like we do. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I mean, it's not quite that uh, stream of consciousness-y, I don't think, but the, the output certainly is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you got coming next time? Well, for next time, we have words as mental paintbrush handles and variable question fallacies. Fun. All right. We've got to give a shout out to the Guild of the Rose 
They are the Hell organization yes, we that we uh, that we partner with. I'm sure you've heard of them. If you haven't yet, definitely check them out at guildofthrose.org. They are the ones doing rationality IRL as opposed to uh, what do you call not IRL internet? Um, yeah, yeah, cyberspace. Yeah, we're we're doing it more in cyberspace. We we chat, you know. But if you want to get together with a group of people and actually hone your skills, you know, in the same way yeah. that you know practicing in a dojo with other people makes you an actually better martial artist than watching videos of people you know punching each other, uh, this is the place to do it. Um, you, mm-hmm. you, you can, if you're like me and you're like, uh, committing to stuff sucks, but you, but you love what they do. You can actually just go there and support them financially without having to join classes, which is what I do. Keep in mind that it, you don't have to, if your time is, is too valuable or you're like me, it's just a commitment phobe. Um, but you still <laughs> like the idea. You don't have to uh, volunteer your precious time. You can, you can just, you know, volunteer your precious money instead, but I suggest you do both. Again, you can check out a lot of their content for free. There's a YouTube walkthroughs and some of their courses. Check out goodlyrose.org. I don't know what else to say about them. And they have they have uh, you know experts on all of these uh, these newfangled AI machines that keep coming out. So rather than oh, us yes, hemming and hawing about it, they actually people over there who know what they're talking about. So yep. All right, and finally, we would like to thank the person who has been supporting this episode. This episode, we are thanking Lucy Philippon for helping support us, helping bring all of this to you. I know we talked earlier with Zvi about how hard it is to get people to support things that are given out for free. And so when people do do it, we really appreciate it. I know you don't have to because we put out almost everything that we do for free. The uh, patrons get some bonus content. It's us sometimes chatting about things uh, in a little bit more depth, but the vast majority of everything is just put out free for everyone to hear because we think it's more important for people to to have access to what's going on out there than it is for us to make some money off of it. But we really would appreciate some money. Uh, it, it makes us easier to help bring this to everybody. And it makes it feel very uh, rewarding to think that people appreciate it enough to offer some money. All of that's true. And I'll add that we, you know, we do do favors for our patrons uh, per request. And uh, we are planning on doing some more, you know, patron exclusive content. So, you know, if you, if you also just want more stuff, you can get that out of it too. But um, and on the off chance that it's not Lucy and it's Luki or Lucky or something. Sorry if we mispronounced it. If anyone's the international speaker, it's Inyash, and uh, he, he'll tell you he's not the world's greatest at it either. So Definitely uh, not. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Bye.